Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. We are back, and I just want to remind you that Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Salmon. If you've never tasted this stuff, it is so delicious. Secrets in the fire. We'll tell you more about that later. Let's go to the phones now. Joining us, as he does every week at this time, one of our most valuable resources in the outdoor industry, the man who covers all aspects of the outdoors, is preceded in fame only by what he thinks about himself, Nate Zielinski. <laughs> that was a long one, Terry. I yeah. like that. Yeah. One. that was a really one. <laughs> How you doing, my friend? I'm doing fantastic. Hey, uh, before we even get started, I understand tomorrow is a special day. You might have to take an hour off your scouting. I'll tell you what, we're, uh, we're t- I'm actually taking off Sunday and Monday for uh, for my seven-year anniversary. Very excited about that. Very, you know, you married way over your head. You know that. Way you? over my head, and, uh, you know, with the crazy schedule I lead, uh, she's still here, so I'm beyond excited about that. Well, and uh, <laughs> I tell you what, you, what a partner. That girl can shoot, let me tell you. Oh, absolutely. Shoot. She's uh, she's a hunting and fishing fool. She does it better than me, and uh, yeah, I'm prou- proud to have her in my life. We both uh, face that, don't we? It's, it's, they're very humbling <laughs> to both of us, aren't they? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, I, I know you want to talk about um, um, muzzle loading and thing. Let's start out with that. But if we have time at the end, I'll, I know we were out at Clam. Let's touch on that a little bit too. But Absolutely. let's start Absolutely. out with uh, the hunting. For sure. You know, Terry, the, the goal of today, I want to talk about muzzleloaders, but I have to say real quick, uh, opening pronghorn happened this week, last Tuesday. Uh, a lot of people might have seen that video. I actually had my, I went scouting on Tuesday because I saw a gigantic mule deer uh, on Monday. And I was planning on going pronghorn on Tuesday, but I saw this deer and I could not let it rest. I had to go get a closer look at this big buck. Uh, so I actually went in there, chased that buck, and then went pronghorn hunting on Wednesday. Um, and, you know, literally in, in two hours, I had my buck on the ground. Um, and it was really just a, uh, a testimony to the the scouting and the education. If you do the hard work ahead of time, it makes the hunt so much easier. And kind of an update from the field with the pronghorn. Um, right now, we're seeing uh, super early signs of rut activity. You know, it, it's way early for these bucks to be rutting this hard. But uh, I mean, the bucks that we saw, we saw bucks chasing does hard. We saw bucks fighting and bucks chasing bucks. Um, they are very, very active right now. So again, we talked about having so much water, the water hole hunting is going to be really a, a patience game. Um, I use a decoy, not even a pronghorn decoy. I use a, a doe archery target. Uh, I took the, took the horns off of an archery target, went out there with this, you know, basically a doe mule deer. Um, and I literally, with meeting halfway, I had a buck come halfway to me. I came halfway to him and I walked up and took a 40 yard shot uh, in flat barren ground. I mean, there wasn't a, a thicker a weed higher than six inches where I shot this thing. Um, and it just shows if you find the right bucks and the right rut activity, uh, how close you can get with that education using those decoys. So that was a phenomenal hunt. If you haven't seen that, uh, you can go to any of the social media outlets. You can go to, to YouTube. Uh, everything's under Bowtech or Nate Zielinski. Um, and you really uh, you can watch that hunt, watch it unfold, build that education, see how you can do that. So if you're struggling right now with the pronghorn hunt, uh, I encourage you to go watch that and kind of, kind of t- take some of the tips. Uh, and hopefully you can put a pronghorn on the ground using uh, a method that's very similar to this. So that's kind of the, the first start of the hunting thing. And then we also want to really talk about um, muzzle loading. So coming up here, you know, mid-September is our main muzzleloader season for elk and deer in all the mountain regions and the mountain zones. And uh, this being said, I'm actually getting ready to start doing some seminars. and down here at Bass Pro Shops doing all these seminars today. And I just talked to somebody about muzzleloader bullets. And that's what we really want to talk to 
talk about today because everybody's out there starting to shoot their guns. Uh, you know, obviously in Colorado, it's loose powder, it's open sights, uh, and a raw bullet. You're not using uh, you know any sort of sabot or any cover around that bullet to, to shoot a, a thinner diameter bullet. Um, and with that said, so many hunters. Number one, don't put as much importance into that bullet as they should. You know, hey, a piece of lead's a piece of lead. So that's the number one thing I want to talk about is actually selecting a right bullet. But more importantly, everybody tends to to go off of what their buddy said or what they read on, you know, a quick article. And everybody does the same powder usage. And you really need to think about the powder with the bullet and the shot placement. And it's really going to be the coordination of those three things that make you successful and make a, a perfect round to put an animal on the ground. And, you know, a lot of people don't think about it, but we actually lose a lot of animals during the muzzleloader season um, for a couple of reasons. One, because maybe you don't hit them hard enough. And two, a lot of times you don't have a good blood trail with muzzleloaders. And a lot of people, literally, they have an animal dead, but they don't recover it because of the fact that there's no blood trail. So it's one of those things that's near and dear to my heart. I, you know, I do so much archery hunting, but I love it when I, uh, you know, every four or five years, I'll grab a muzzleloader tag um, and I get out there and I love having that traditional style hunt. Um, but you know, again, you know, Nate, that, you yeah. know, I, I want to go back to a point you made about the bullet and the coordination. When people buy a cartridge for a regular rifle season, they are so concerned about the ballistics, the speed, the grains of the bullet, how it reacts in their rifle, and they're buying it. They're either loading it as a package or buying it as a package. You're absolutely right. I think they don't put nearly enough thought. It's the same deal with a muzzleloader. It's, it's the exact same situation. You know, and I think uh, the big thing out there, most of the, the real high-end bullets or the most popular bullets today tend to be softer bullets. So a lot of manufacturers are making a bullet that either has a sleeve on the back of the bullet to basically make a cap to seat your powder. It doesn't go around the bullet, so it's still legal. It's just a cap on the back. Um, or you're having people that are actually manufacturing basically a, an indention in the back of the bullet to, to seat itself on that powder. So you have a couple different you know brands out there doing this. But some of the more popular brands you see are very soft bullets. And that's the biggest thing that we wanted to talk about is these soft bullets. So whether they're a, a true ballistic tip or they're just a real soft, you know, soft cord bullet. Um, everybody's making these softer bullets to get premium expansion and get the most power out of that bullet. The problem is, is with today's powder, even though it's still that raw black powder, it's getting better and better. You know, they're producing it in cylinders. Um, so instead of being grains of powder, now it's actually formed, it's round, it, it has hollow portions to where you're getting the best kind of burn because of the fact that you have air inside of this powder. So regardless of the technical part of this, you're getting better charges. So 100 grains of modern black powder versus 100 grains of old black powder is dramatically different. So on a softer bullet with 100 grains of powder, if you talk to 99 hunters, are 100 hunters, you know, majority of these people are going to say, oh, I shoot 100 grains. That's what everybody tells me. That's what the guy at the store told me. That's what I read. That's what I saw on TV. I just shoot 100 grains. They put 100 grains in, they go shoot their bullet. On paper, the bullet flies amazing, and they're like, this is great. Everything's set. But they don't realize what that actually bullet is doing. So if all of a sudden you're on an elk cut, and if you, say, shoot behind the shoulder blade, we always promote that double lung shot. It's a great shot. It breaks them down. You know, you're not dealing with shooting through the shoulder. But regardless, if you do that double lung shot at 100 yards on an elk with 100 grains of powder on a soft bullet, generally speaking, you have a great hit. That bullet's going to go in three, four inches. It's going to expand nicely, uh, and you're going to get that good penetration of, say, 10 to 14 inches, and you're going to really break down that elk. 
Now all of a sudden that bull comes in closer. Let's say that bull comes in at 20 yards and you shoot that same round, even though it's closer. Everybody's like, it's closer, so I have more power. But really at that closer range, you're having so much speed out of that bullet that if you hit a rib, that bullet opens so much faster because it's going so fast and has so much energy that you lose all the ballistics because it basically blows up. We call it grenading on the animal. So it's going to grenade on one side and you're going to get penetration to one lung, but very rarely do you even get halfway through the body. And a lot of times we see these animals run off, whether they they never pass away or you know they they you know don't make it through the winter. Um, a lot of times, you know, a big elk, it can live with one lung. I mean, it literally, as long as it can shut down that system, it can coagulate, um, you know, they can really either go far or live with a one lung type shot. So all of a sudden, you know, having that hundred grains at a hundred yards, you have a lethal combination at 20 yards. You do not have a lethal combination. So you have to really understand the bullets and the powder. So if you're a person, this is the way I think of it. If you're a person that says, hey, I've been shooting the same soft bullet forever, you know, whether it's a, a Hornady or a Powerbell, if I'm shooting a soft bullet and I know I like the bullet, I know the way it flies, I have a bunch of them. If I'm shooting a softer bullet, I tone down my powder. It might be anywhere between 68 grains and 80 grains, but I tone down my powder to where I take down some of that speed to where I know even at 20 yards, I still get great, you know, ballistic coefficient. The bullet opens up, but doesn't absolutely explode. That way I get penetration to make sure I get into the vitals of these animals. And then if you're shooting a hard bullet, same type situation, a hard bullet, a lot of times I will step up the grain. So if I'm shooting like a, an old traditional Hornady Great plane, solid piece of lead, very hard bullet. Um, on those harder bullets, I might step up to 120 grains to where I make sure I do get that expansion. Because Sometimes the hard bullets never open up. It's like shooting a, a solid field tip through them. You know, all of a sudden you poke a hole, but you don't get any energy. You don't get any you know, opening of the bullets or no ballistics. Um, and all of a sudden you don't have as lethal of a round. So harder bullets, I go more powder. Softer bullets, I go less powder. Uh, and that generally is the winning combination to have that, that ultimate experience out there in the woods because very rarely do we ever estimate what we're going to be shooting. So many times we're like, oh, I, I, I'm hoping for a 50-yard shot, but sometimes it could be a 50-yard shot, sometimes it could be 100, sometimes it could be 10 feet. Um, and we never really know that. So you have to make sure you have a bullet and a load that can perform at all ranges in which you're comfortable shooting and having a, a realistic expectation of, of you know, upholding in the woods. Great, great information, Nate. And by the way, people, if you don't know this, that uh, Colorado Clays uh, has an open air, it's a covered shooting area, but an open air range where they allow um, black powder sighting in. So if you're still looking for a place to tune your gun in, you can go there. Nate, I want to switch gears on you a little bit before we run out of time. I know that ice fishing is still a ways off, but you were down back visiting our friends at Clam. Yep. I saw a picture of you and my good friend Dave Gans. Gosh, Dave and I go back a million years. His wife hand-sewed my first fish trap shelter. Uh, I believe it. You know, it was really cool. We, they, they had some nice awards for Dave, and uh, you know, he's releasing a new line of clothing, and it was great to hang out with him. So what are some of the things you saw coming up? I know we'll talk about them more as ice fishing gets closer, but a couple things get you excited? Absolutely, Terry. You know, I'd, I'd say the big trends were almost the same as ICAST. You know, obviously, Clam's the leader there. 
they started off as fish houses and now more than fish houses. I mean, they're clothing, they're tackle. Um, I mean, they have open water rods. I mean, they're, they're really expanding into the entire fishing industry. But the biggest thing I would say that we, we really saw this year, we, they released a lot of 20th anniversary ice team stuff. Um, so they have new shelters. So I would say the biggest thing in the shelters is they really have a wide variety of sizes. So before everything was, you know, one man, two man, three man. Now they've really expanded to, they have a, a one man, but they might have a 70 inch roof on it to where all of a sudden a lake trout fisherman with a 40 inch rod can now set the hook inside of a shelter. So they really expanded to, to specifics for specific anglers. So you now have a, a portable fish house and a trap style house for everything. So they made guide shelters. So we have a fish house now, uh, it's the 300 series that you can put three anglers in, a guide can sit in front of you, um, and you have ample room to, to walk around. You could cook with three anglers fishing inside of a trap style house. So really excited about that. And I would say the materials, bar none, is probably the big change that we saw from Clam this year. So everything from the ice armor suits, um, the material got better. It's more insulated. It's lighter. So now all of a sudden they're taking the same suit, but now it's more mobile. It's lighter. It's easier. It's user-friendly. Same thing in the fish houses. So now they made quieter material. So even in the wind, you now have a quieter material. You have a thicker material, or I shouldn't say a thicker, a warmer material, uh, but being lighter weight and just more user-friendly. So I would say more than anything, technology hit, and they really just made existing products more specific and slightly better in, in better material, longer lasting, more waterproof, more breathable. Uh, so excited about that. And they also expanded some of their spoon lines. They, they've had a lot of different spoons in the past, and they really expanded the weight of those spoons on both the lighter and the heavier side. You know, they take people like me that, you know, when we're guiding, we love using a lot of weight. We're, you know, if we're throwing jigging spoons, very rarely do we throw a quarter-ounce jigging spoon. We want to throw a half-ounce jigging spoon. We want to have control. So Clam really upped the sizes of a lot of their terminal tackle and their spoons, uh, both going smaller and larger to really accommodate all styles of anglers and depths at which you're fishing. So there's a lot of new product coming out, and uh, it's exciting to see. And most of it is on their website right now, so you can kind of check that out. Well, you know, I, I got you made me reflect back because I can remember when Dave and Greg Claudio and myself and Tony Dean and Doug Stangy kind of led the charge about the, the, the one-man fish trap, about getting out, moving around, don't be stationary. And we caught so many fish. We revolutionized the sport and, of course, used electronics. The one thing we overlooked is ice fishing becomes a sport of much camaraderie. And now you've seen people still have the one-man shelters, but you're also seeing they're taking out and they're setting up a hub shelter so they can come yep. in and have lunch. They'll fish in the hub while they're there, and then they'll move around if it's nice without shelters or with it. So we're seeing it kind of change back to a sport of camaraderie again, aren't we? We we love seeing that too, absolutely. I think uh, you're definitely seeing those trends. You know, we see a lot of a lot of the hub style shelters and the big hub shelters where you can put five guys inside of the shelter. So you, you do want to have that communication. You can fish all inside one roof. Um, and definitely, I think that's one of the the biggest things. What's growing the sport? You know, we're seeing just astronomical growth of ice fishing here in Colorado. And I think the big reason for that is that camaraderie. I mean, one, it's a, it's inexpensive to get into the sport. You know, you don't have to have the $80,000 boat. I mean, you can get into it for, for less than a hundred dollars. You can have the gear you need to have a day on the ice. Uh, so that aspect and then the camaraderie, I mean, it's, it's a great sport to, to hang out, bring the family, bring the kids. It's just very user friendly. Uh, and I definitely see those trends happening. And I think uh, in this day and age where we are seeing, you know, our youth numbers down and really need to put more, more focus on getting youth out there. Ice is a great way to do that. It's fun. It's entertaining. It's simple. Um, and kids love it, and they, they grasp to it. So it's a great, uh, great aspect to kind of to start 
forwarding, looking and trying to grow that camaraderie and the overall group fishing. We're already over, but I have one quick question for you. Monday, does the eclipse affect the animal behavior? I'll tell you what, I, I personally don't think so. I know that all my animals are acting very normal right now. I, I saw a lot of stuff. I watched the, you know, Chad asked that question there on Facebook. You see a lot of different comments on it. Uh, I'm sure... I'm sure there's something going on. I'm sure you're going to start seeing those animals get a little weird. I'm sure they know what's happening. I'm sure you're going to get actually a, a weird phase during it. Uh, but I personally, uh, I would not change anything I'm doing. I have no fears. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to bother anything hardly at all. I mean, I'm sure it's going to happen. They're going to notice it. But uh, I don't think we're going to see uh, elk out there committing suicide because of the eclipse or anything. All right. So. Thanks, Nate. we got to <laughs> run. Have a good happy anniversary. You too. All right. Thank you very much. Sir. You bet. Nate Zlinski. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company's Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. And now we're going to go to the phones. We're going to be joined by a man who incredibly disrupted my life over 25 years ago, had me flying all over the country to these fisheries, even got to spend time on the water with him. At the time, he was, I believe, executive director of the Professional Walleye Trail. He's also now part of Target Walleye. He's a good friend and a great fisherman, Jim Kalkofin. Good morning, Jim. Hey, good morning from Montana. You know, listening to your uh, sponsors, and there's a long list of them, I realize I could order some smoked salmon get a mortgage, and get a date all at the same time. So you got a great array of sponsors there, Terry. And it, Yeah, but, you know, it just, what can I say, you know? <laughs> Chicks dig the outdoors. No, it's... <laughs> hey, Jim, it. it was great to see you. We were both out at ICAST just a few weeks ago, which is, of course, the big gathering of the fishing industry. But we go way back to the in-fisherman days when you were a one one of the people running the professional walleye trail, and I was writing for uh, Walleye Insider magazine at the time, and uh, even doing a little tournament fishing myself. And of course, both of us heralding from northern Minnesota to start with, or at least that area, that Midwest part of the country, at least Wisconsin, Minnesota. We've uh, we've had some similar viewpoints on fishing and things, but it's been a a lot of fun years, my friend. It doesn't seem like it's been that long. No, and and you know. I was at uh, a tournament, an MWC tournament, uh, last year, and they asked me to get up and start and just tell them a little bit about the history of how it started. And I said, well, I said, this is how it started. And you see the jaws drop on the table as they said, it just started around a little table in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, and you got some guys together and said, we're going to do this, and you did it? I said, yeah, that's how it happened. And back then, we would have ideas, Terry about things that would improve the lot of fishermen. And I had bosses that I was working at Mercury and, and then later at In Fisherman, and, and they would say, hey, let's do that because if we have some media, like you were, you were the media guy, and we have the tournaments, we're going to learn a lot. And it wasn't so much about the tournaments and who won. It was about how fishermen figured out systems from South Dakota to Wisconsin to Michigan to Ohio. And when they found out something that was really working better than all the other guys and gals out there, then you shared it on TV, on radio, in magazines. And the whole uh, uh, the, the inventions and innovations and tactics of walleye fishing just spread from, you know, from the Midwest, which 
you know, everybody up there thinks they're the only walleye fishermen, but you were just had Nate on and a great walleye fisherman in Colorado, and we've got great walleye fishermen here in Montana. And they learned from what you were doing and, and I was doing 25 years ago. Well, I'll, I'll tell you a great uh, anecdote about that. I was at one of the tournaments. Uh, I might have been one of the championships up in Bismarck, but it was on the Missouri River, the Oahe system, and Sharp and all those. And I asked the biologist in charge of that lake, I said, what effect do you think holding these tournaments has on your fishery? He goes, the tournament has no effect. I mean, you have 100 boats and they catch some fish. He goes, he goes but you telling everybody how to catch these fish sure as heck has an impact, he said. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you look back on it, you know, you know in, in Minnesota, for instance, um, well, if it moves, they regulate it just in case you didn't know about Minnesota. And, and there they, they attempted to ban the underwater camera, which gave us a great view of what's happening underwater. And I tell you what, that is just one tool of many that was developed because of tournament angling. And now people use it ice fishing, they use it open water fishing. And the key isn't that you can look down there and see a fish biting your hook. Well, you can while you're ice fishing because everything is so stationary and localized. But you can see the structure, you can see the transitions from mud to sand and sand to gravel and gravel to rocks and as you get closer to shore you can see what's if there's just little four inch sand grass weeds on the bottom and by looking at that and seeing what's down there especially when you catch a fish a walleye for instance then you can duplicate that in other areas of the lake so that's just one little piece of gear and then electronics um just amazing you know um, I take a lot of kids fishing now, and and when I say, okay, what does sonar stand for? Well, I have them guessing a lot of different things for what it stands for, but um, but it's amazing. There are tools out there that the pro anglers teach the regular anglers like us how to uh, fish even better with them. Now, I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to take about two minutes because you're with an organization called Target Walleye. I want you to tell us about that. Then I'm going to put you on hold, come back. And because we both came from the Midwest, we've both transitioned to the West. I want to talk about what those transitions are like and the differences. So first, tell us about Target Walleye. Okay, anybody out there who's interested in catching walleyes and or ice fishing for all species, you need to take a look at something that Alan, Ron, Linder, and I are doing right now. It's called TargetWalleye.com. And we send out twice a week, free of charge, that's F-R-E-E for you, Terry, free of charge, <laughs> um, um, emails. And the emails have all sorts of tips and information and education. There's videos on there. There's photos on there. There's little snippets and stories. And and what we do with Target Walleye is we want to educate entire North America about what is happening in the walleye world, what's biting where and how to catch them, innovations that are occurring. Because just because there's not a lot of major tournaments right now, doesn't mean that innovations aren't occurring. And when that happened, when they happen, we share that information, again, free of charge on the emails that people get twice a week. And and it's called targetwalleye.com. Go there, enter your, an email address, and we'll send you those emails. 
and you can see a lot of great information. And and now when there is a tournament, whether it's on Fort Peck in Montana or or McConaughey in Nebraska or Saginaw Bay in Michigan, we don't necessarily care that um, Terry and Jim won. We care about how they won and what they were doing and why it was different, getting right down to the line, the rod, the lure, the action they imparted, the wind direction, the current, whatever it is, because people can duplicate that those those tactics wherever they fish. And that's what we're sharing, and the growth is just tremendous. Over 50,000 fishermen now receive those emails, and we'd like uh, you listeners out here in the West to take part in that because you're getting a lot of great information, not just from Wisconsin and Minnesota, but North Dakota and Oregon. In fact, I'm going to be in Oregon fishing here in a couple of weeks. And we share those tactics because we want the walleye uh, uh, thing, we'll call it the walleye thing, to continue to grow. And it is growing. All right, Jim, I'm going to put you on hold. We're going to come back, and then I want to talk about both of us moving from the Midwest and the the differences we encountered and what it's done to our angling and moving to the reservoirs and rivers out in the western United States. So I'll put you on hold, Jim. Thanks, Terry. And we'll come back. Terry Wixom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. We're going right back to the phones. We're talking to uh, Jim Kalkovin. He's been with Mercury Marine. He's been with uh, the in-fisherman staff and the professional walleye trail. And he's now with an organization called Target Walleye. Jim, welcome back. Hey, good talking with you, Terry. You know, we talked about target walleye, and we'll give that information again at the end of this segment. But you and I both started our fishing careers or adventures probably at very young ages, both of us, in the Midwest. Where fishing is, uh, you know, if a lake varies in depth by more than a foot, people have a heart attack and they figure it's over. If And the forage bases tend to stay pretty stable. Uh, different forage, different water, different types of things out west. How was it for you coming out to the west and adapting to the angling? Or the other way, going from the west to the Midwest? Well, I, I tell you what, no matter where I've fished, I've learned something from the local anglers. And it, it's amazing how smart they are because they fish local waters. So they And, and you go fishing, the goal is to catch some fish. And so they figured that out. For instance, the first time I came to Fort Peck Reservoir up here in eastern Montana, it was uh, dragging bottom bouncers and spinners and crawlers. And now when I go to Fort Peck, I use no live bait and no bottom bouncers, but I'll be using jigging wraps and shiver minnows, and jigging when I see fish out in that deeper weed line. And right now there's old weed lines at 25 to 35 feet. And, or I'll be going in to three to 10 feet and casting spoons or crankbaits or spinnerbaits for walleyes in shallow. And, and the reason I do those tactics now, Terry, is because I've used those tactics in other lakes and I come to Fort Peck and I, I like to use tactics where I'm, I actually have a rod and reel in my hand and I'm casting it and retrieving it and making something happen because of what I'm doing. 
instead of dragging something around. Although dragging something around may be the answer. However, what I find now in western Montana, uh, west of the divide, is that there are so many more opportunities for fishing than I ever thought about. I mean, there's more smallmouth out here. There's more northern pike than I, I no, nobody ever said there's smallmouth here. And of course, trout. I mean, there's just all sorts of trout, and I'm having fun, and I have an inflatable drift boat, and having a lot of fun with that. But here's what I'm finding is that I'm making a lot of new friends in western Montana. I've been here since uh, uh, last fall. And and every time I talk to those people, they say, well, here's what we're doing fishing for, for pike. What can you tell us about pike? And I try to adapt some things that, I, that I've learned. But here is one thing. Fish are fish. In Fisherman has a great formula. You know, you have to know the fish, you have to figure out a location, and then a presentation to match. And if you use the basics and go to the systems out west, you'll find that it's pretty darn accurate. And in the same thing, when I take some of these western tactics back to the Midwest, when I travel back there, I find that I'm a much better fisherman for being around these great fishermen out here, Terry. Well, you know, one of the things I really found, and you can probably relate to this, when I started covering the professional walleye trail for you guys, I had already moved out west, and we had a lot of uh, western anglers out here. We had Ron Seelhoff, of course, who was one of the greatest, which we lost a while back here now. We had Tom Bruno, and, you know, we just had so many good anglers out here. One of the things that I think I found out was that there were a lot of great anglers back in Minnesota and in Wisconsin and those areas where I grew up. But they would learn a lake, and they'd learn a weed line or a hump in a lake, and they could go out to that lake and fish memories and be successful. The western angler, the lake, it's a different lake every time he goes out. The water could be 10, 15, 20 feet different. The forage could have moved migrated to a whole different part of the river system or lake because it's almost all reservoirs. You've got some current to deal with. You don't have many established weed lines. You have some. So it's a whole different lake. So I, th- I found the western anglers had to be so much more capable of adapting. And I think in some of the mid-years, the mid-90 years of the PWT, I think we saw a bunch of those Western anglers really rise up, not that there weren't good Midwest anglers too, but because as we traveled the tournament to different bodies of water, these guys were used to fishing, even if it was their home water, a different lake every time they went out, where the Midwest guys had to really think they couldn't fish their memories. Does that make sense to you? Well, it does. You know, you take the guys, and when we're talking reservoirs out here, we're talking the guys from Pier and Bismarck and, um, and you know, Peck and, and then McConaughey and, and those types of places, um, Bridge up there, because those people fished. And they, you know, I, I can remember going out in the early years for me to go to Oahe and say, man, this is so different. And you say, yeah, it's 15 feet higher than it was last year. Or go out another year and say, yeah, it's 27 feet lower. <laughs> and and it was, it's just, in fact, is I was writing uh, for quite a few magazines in the Midwest, and I said, imagine what would happen if Lake Winnebago in Wisconsin, Wisconsin's biggest natural lake, would drop 20 feet. 
and everybody knows what would happen because the deepest water in that lake is 20 feet, and it would be just a big mud hole. And and that is that was probably the 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 toughest realization to make is that these things could change so much. And there's one other thing that goes with that, of course, and that's that fish can be at any depth in those reservoirs. At any, I mean, you look at the steep breaks, and they could be down in 60 feet, or they could be up in four feet. We had a, you know, you talked about the professional walleye trail being on on Peck in one of those early years, and we had uh, the Glorvigan brothers and John Peterson were fishing a point in in practice. First morning, the Glorvigans went there. John Peterson went there, of course, from Northland Tackle. And John fished his depth at 10 to 12 feet, made one pass, didn't see any fish on the graph, didn't catch any fish. He left. When he came back an hour before weigh-in and he sees the Glorvigan still sitting on that point, he says, uh-oh, I made a mistake. The Glorvigans were fishing 5 to 8 feet, and they, they scored both very well in that, um, in that tournament. And that's the one thing... You know, if you talked about a guy in Minnesota having a, a reef out on his lake and it tops out at 15 feet, it always tops out at 15 feet, and the fish are always on the side of it, 15 to 25 feet someplace. But out here, man, like I said, they could be in 5 to 8, they could be in 10 to 12, or they could be in 25 feet. So you really, not only do you have water that changes, but you have fish that change as well. Hey, we're out of time. It was, we, you and I could go on for hours and hours. Real quick, how do they find out more about Target Walleye? Hey, folks, go to TargetWalleye.com, punch in your email address. We don't send you spam. We don't screw with you and your email address. We only send you Target Walleye emails that will inform you about walleyes in the open water and in ice fishing season, all species. Not only where to go, what's biting, but how to catch more fish. That's the goal of fishing. You want to catch fish. So, Terry, with that, I'll leave it. And, yes, we could go on for hours talking about things we've learned. Well, and there's and, some of the stories we don't want to talk about on the radio. So we want... <laughs> All right, hey, Jim, my friend, know, we need to get on the water again soon. We have to let you go, but thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks, Terry, and thanks to all your listeners. Bye-bye. All right, thank you. Hey, before we go back to our take a break here, I want to tell you about honey smoked salmon. I joked about it earlier, but I really do have to watch what I eat and be careful. Honey smoked salmon is a superfood that keeps me with great nutrition. It helps keep me in shape and active, and I love the flavor. I put it in spreads. I put it in omelets. I eat it on pasta. I eat it right out of the package. In fact, when I try to cook with it, I eat way too much of it right out of the package. But it's delicious. If you haven't tried honey smoked salmon, Go get one package. It's very so. Just get one package and try it. I just guarantee you that you will love it and you will buy more. It's different than anything you can imagine. Honey Smoked Salmon. In fact, Terry Wicks from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. We're going to go right to the phones because I want to give ample time to this gentleman. He's one of our more knowledgeable angling contributors, and uh, you hear him here uh, every other week. And also he fills in for me, Mr. Ronnie Castiglione. Good morning, Ronnie. 
Good morning, Terry. How are you doing this morning? You know, I'm doing well. You know, Ronnie, I wrote an article, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, may have been two weeks ago for the Denver Post. I read my column every week, and it talked about you can always find some form. There's no reason not to find fish to catch in Colorado if you're willing to put make some changes and put in the time. You know, we've had this situation with rising and falling water. We're going from midsummer into the fall transition, and some bodies of water are going to fish differently. They may be a little tougher during these transitions, but you can find something that you can do and do it successfully. And I think that kind of leads to what you want to talk about is taking spinning gear and go fishing the rivers right now. Yeah, absolutely, Terry. You know, I think the last couple times I've been on, you've asked me for a, you know, a suggestion as to where I would send people to fish. And I think the last couple times I've answered, you know, it's it's that time of year where heading up to the rivers is a really good call. So I figured we'd talk a little bit about doing that, uh, you know, this time of year. And you know, absolutely, the fishing is fantastic right now on the rivers, Terry. There's no doubt about it. And, you, you know, it, it's funny, Terry, being a guide here for the you know the last seven to eight years here in Colorado, I get a lot of transplant clients. A lot of clients that are coming in from other states that are moving here, and they want to kind of get the lay of the land and understand what's going on fishing-wise. But I can't tell you, Terry, how many times I get people on the boat. And, you know, once we start talking about trout fishing, they look at me and say, well, you know, I've got to go do that with a fly rod, don't I? Isn't that the only way I'm going to be able to catch them? And I just kind of shake my head, Terry. Uh, Believe it or not, you can actually go up to these rivers and catch trout on spinning gear, Terry. It can happen. And there's a lot of times where it is probably the most productive way of going about doing it, Terry. Well, you're absolutely right, because I do both spinning and fly fishing. People that follow my TV and radio know that. But fly fishing, even sometimes I'll fly fish when it's not the best means. But fly fishing is just a different way to fish, a different type of experience. I wrote an article for Fishing Facts magazine back in the 80s, how many, many times a simple thing like a leadhead jig on a spinning rod could be more effective than fly fishing. Yeah, absolutely, Terry. And one of the big keys when I'm talking to, you know, people that are trying to learn this type of stuff for the first time is I want them to utilize, you know, the skill set that they already have when they're first approaching the rivers. So I get a lot of clients that are coming to the state and they already know how to, you know, functionally cast a spinning rod real well and how to work it, how to mend the line and how to do everything with the spinning rod. Um, You know, so the first thing I want them to do is go up there with that spinning rod and, you know, get to be successful with that spinning rod on the river, and then that'll clue them into where these fish like to sit on the river. So they'll start to understand, oh, they're in these runs, they're in these pools, they're up against this bluff wall, all that kind of stuff that you learn when you start to fish the river. Now, if they want to take up fly fishing, well, now they've already solved half the equation. They understand where the fish are positioned in the river. Now they just have to go about learning the skill set with the fly rod in order to catch those fish. So, you know, I'm off with the fly fishing as well, but there's there's no point in coming here and completely abandoning what you've been doing your whole life. If you're coming from down south or something, uh, bring that spinning gear with you. Understand, you know, how to utilize that spinning gear. Get up to the rivers, and you'll catch those fish. And then if you want to take on fly fishing, you know, you'll be a better angler in the long run. What are some of the presentations you like to use in the rivers, especially this time of the year? This time of the year, Terry, well, you know, pretty much all times of the year, I'm, I'm a big fan of utilizing a jig up there like you're talking about. So something like a, a 16-ounce or 8-ounce lead head jig head with a gulp minnow or something along those lines on it, that really, really produces well. And the beauty of that kind of presentation is you can cover all the water column with it. So you can get the fish to bite that are real, real shallow right up on top of the water column. Or a lot of times these fish in the rivers, especially, they're pinned to the bottom, kind of hiding behind rocks, and you can get 
those fish to bite the jig as well because you can let that thing get all the way through the water column. So that's probably my number one go-to bait would be something along those lines. If I'm going to fish the flies and lures only sections where I got to worry about the salted and scented baits, then I'll step away from something like the gulp minnow and I'll go to a similar shaped minnow profile body, but I'm going to look for one that's unsalted and unscented, Terry. So that's kind of the first thing I get people, you know, kind of doing up there. The next thing that I'm going to use a lot of times, Terry, is going to be a really shallow running jerkbait. Um, I really like throwing jerkbaits in the river. Uh, the Pruder River is one of my favorite rivers to kind of utilize the jerkbaits in because the Pruder's got a lot of really kind of wide, long runs and, and big kind of wide open pools. So those jerkbaits work really well in those scenarios. So a real shallow running jerkbait, something that's only going to dive a foot or two at the most is a very good place to start. Another good thing and, and kind of, the, you know, a more brainer one for people that maybe have a little bit lesser skill set or just getting into it is going to be an inline spinner, Terry. Inline spinners absolutely produce, and the good thing about the inline spinners is it's just kind of a, you know, huck it and reel it in sort of a presentation, so you don't have to worry about imparting a lot of action to the presentation. The inline spinner is going to stay pretty high in the water column, so you're not going to get down on the rocks. You're not going to snag a whole heck of a lot, so an inline spinner is an excellent choice as well, Terry. And then I may also go to a spoon or maybe like a fly and bubble presentation or even just a fly and split shot presentation where I'm putting something like a leech pattern on a spinning rod and maybe putting a split shot a, a, a foot up the line, that kind of a thing. That presentation will absolutely catch a lot of fish this time of year as well, Terry. All right, Ronnie, we are running out of time, but if people wanted to get more information, if they want to book a guide trip with you, where, how would they get a hold of you? Fishfulthinker.com. You can get all the information on fishfulthinker.com. You can get a hold of me, Ronnie, at fishfulthinker.com as well, or you can find me, Ronnie Castiglione, on Facebook, and you can send me a message on that, and we'll be happy to take you out. I've got people right now that are interested in that fall bite, Terry, so let's get them on the boat and get them out there and catch some fish. Oh, those big rainbows you catch in the fall on the river, on the lake are phenomenal. Ronnie, we need to get on the water, and we need to have a dinner and a glass of wine. Terry, I'm scared to see how big those rainbows might be this fall, but <laughs> they could be absolutely giant. I would not be surprised if I catch a 14, 15-pound fish this year. Uh, I caught a 13-and-a-half last year, so uh, you know I'm looking forward to those fish, Terry. All right. Thanks, Ronnie. All right. Have a good one. You bet. Ronnie from uh, Fishful Thinker. Um, it's going to wrap things up for us today, but I just want to let everybody know that you can join us here every Saturday from 9 to 11. Now, we may be switching to our winter hours here in a few weeks. Don't know yet for sure, but I think that's what's going to happen. So you may have to tune in a little earlier for us. Uh, follow us on Facebook. Facebook is the key to knowing what's going coming up on this show. If there's an important interview we've had, we'll post my column in the Denver Post. We post our television shows that go up on YouTube. We post interesting interviews. So Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. And send us your Ask the Expert questions to terrywickstromoutdoors at Gmail. Uh, thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Karen for keeping me on the tracks here and uh, join us every week for Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and we'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour on 104.3 The Fan.